Howdy. How you doing, fam? Good. It's good to see you. I'm Josh, one of the ministers. Welcome to Clear Creek, our 930 worship time. And by the way, we use the word worship, and sometimes we use it... um, Almost like as a stand-in for for a lot of other things. You understand that everything you do, if you do it to the glory of God, is worship, right? So this is just part of it. So I'm so glad that we get to continue what you've been doing all week long, celebrating Jesus. And we get to come in here and celebrate him some more together. By the way, wasn't singing this morning just wonderful? Anyone else just blessed by that? Well, I was. How about you? Yeah, that was good. I love listening to you sing, and I love getting to celebrate Jesus with you. Hey, a couple things real fast. Next Sunday is what day, fellas? Some of you are good. You're, yeah, Mother's Day. So I'll clue the rest of you in. Next week is Mother's Day. All right? Um, so it is a day to celebrate the significant women in our lives. Some of you are... Uh, moms, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, some of you have stepped in as surrogate moms, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, and a lot of you are spiritual mamas. And so next week, we want to celebrate all of those various roles that are played by the women in our church. We want to honor you and honor the women in your lives. So next Sunday, bring family, bring friends. It'll be a day to celebrate. should be a lot of fun. Also, next Sunday, we're going to begin a two-part series actually looking at this idea of what, what true worship is. Because I think for so many of us, we have a a malnourished understanding. And here's the punchline. It is far bigger and far better than most of us have ever been taught growing up in church. In fact, what we talk about next week and the week after may surprise you. But I think it will absolutely change the way we think of God and we think of Monday through Saturday. And so I hope you'll be with us next week and the week after that. All right, grab your Bibles. Turn with me to John 21. We're diving into the fourth and final week of this series called What Now? And I want to begin with, with a question. And, and maybe, maybe better than a question would be the picture that goes with the question. And I just want you to raise your hand if you recognize the person in this next picture. Any of you recognize this fellow right here? All right, let's do it this way. How many of you recognize the name Bill Belichick? Anyone? How many of you, let's, let's expand the circle now for those of you who may not, you're like, I still don't, okay. What about the New England Patriots? Anyone here? How many of you want to, you know, like cheer? Yay. How many of you want to go boo, hiss? It's a lot of us. So, so let me just start with this. Bill Belichick, if you've kept up with sports like at all over the past two decades, that's a name that has influenced the course of the NFL quite a bit because he's had so many winning seasons, so many Super Bowl wins to his name. But if you are like me and you may be, he's not, he's not your guy. He's not your team leader. You know, for, for me, there's other teams that I'm like, yeah, and the New England Patriots, no. So, I mean, he's sort of like the Darth Vader of the evil empire. <laughs> he comes on scenes and now he looks sort of like a hobo or someone who may have just, you know, raided the local homeless shelter to come play, but he's really good at what he does. In fact, he's an evil genius when it comes to setting out plays. He watches film meticulously. He figures out the weaknesses of the other team and he figures out the way to run the plays. And especially through 2018, he just was this unstoppable force. And he's known for many different key phrases, a lot of things he would say, but here's the one that just sort of stands out to me and maybe it will you by the time we're done this morning. It's a three word sentence. Are you ready? He says this, do your job, J-O-B, do your job. You're like, wow, where are we going with this on church morning? Do your job. And so his whole point is there's 11 guys 
on the team, on the field right now at any given moment. And if, if every one of the players will do their job, not what their teammates supposed to do, but what they're supposed to do. If every play and every player in every play focuses on doing their one job, then they might just win the game. But see, if you're like me, I don't want to do my job. I want to make sure you're doing what? Your job. Anyone else here prefer to be a manager over a doer? Like I'd rather manage say, hey, are you doing your jobs? See, I think it's very simple and very tempting to do that little comparison thing where it's like, well, you know, I would rather pay attention to what the person to my right or my left or behind me, are they doing their job on the team? But he says, don't you worry about everyone else. You do your job. And if we all do our job every play through the game, we will be successful. You understand this point of doing our job, but also maybe getting our eyes off of our own job is not a modern problem. It's one that is as old as the Bible itself. There's this moment that comes and these final four verses we're about to read in John 21 where Peter has just been told some tough truths. And so he's about to say to Jesus, what about, what about? And Jesus gives Peter, I love this, Jesus gives Peter the Bill Belichick answer. Peter, you do your job. I'll take care of the rest. And so we read this in John 21, beginning in verse 20. Would you stand with me this morning as we read these final few words from Jesus? John 21, verse 20 says this. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? Now, when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord... Let's just say this all together. What about him? Yeah. Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if you want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Let's pray together. Father, give us eyes to see and hearts to receive the job you've given to each of us so that we may enjoy the partnership with you that you've called us into. We ask this in Jesus' name and the whole church said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, one last time, let's kind of get the setting. (laughs) This had been... An unusual, unexpected 24 hours for our buddy, Peter. By the way, does anyone else, out of all the 12 apostles, does anyone else in here identify with Peter? Anyone else identify with someone who kind of doesn't get it right all the time, but really tries hard? And then, you know, high highs, low lows. I find myself just identifying with Peter because here Peter is. The one he had given his life to and his hope to for three years, Jesus Christ, has been murdered. He's been put to death on a cross, but then he didn't... Keep with where they put him. By the way, God doesn't stay where we leave him. He gets up, he moves around, and so Jesus doesn't stay in the tomb. Three days later, he's out of the tomb, he's walking around, he's back from the dead, he appears to the apostles, not once but twice, but then he disappears. And so Peter doesn't know what to do, so he does what he knows best. He goes fishing. 
But it's a frustrating night of fishing. We've talked about this before, but he's gone out on the sea. He's got a few of his apostle buddies. They're trying to catch fish. They're having no luck. So whatever the frustration level was before that evening, you got to imagine it's pretty high at this point. They've tried it all. And finally, this loudmouth from the shore calls out, hey, why don't you try casting your net on the other side? And they're thinking, what are you talking about? We've cast our net on every side. We've cast it on the right side, the left side, the front side, the back side. If there was a top side, we would have done that one too. But they do it. And this time, they get a haul of fish. So many that when they try to pull the net into the boat, the boat begins to take on water. It about capsizes. They call for help from other boats. And it's at this point, the disciple Jesus loves, John, says to Peter, that's got to be Jesus. Peter being Peter doesn't think much. He just like jumps in the water, swims to shore. And when he comes up, he is there face to face with Jesus. There's a roaring fire. There's grilled fish. There's warm bread. Jesus says, come have a seat. Let's eat together. And they talk. And you remember in the course of the conversation, Jesus asks Peter three different times, this one big important question, Peter, do you love me? If you do take care of other people, feed other people, love on other people. And then Jesus makes this one statement we looked at last week, and it's a hard statement, but he says, Peter, you growing up got to do what you want to do, go where you want to go, be who you want to be, but there's coming a day, you will be so sold out for me that even when it means dying, you'll go. People grab you by the hands, they'll take you where you don't want to go. This is what will happen. Jesus is prophesying Peter's martyrdom. Now, Peter, he didn't take it real well. I mean, how would you feel if a buddy of yours is talking and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, one day you're going to be driving in your car. And then you're like, what? And so after this comment, you see Peter, he sort of leans over to Jesus and he whispers, hey, John, that guy right there, what about him? What's going to happen to John Now, let's go a little deeper. He's not just asking, can you give me a preview of John's future? What is he really asking? He's saying, Jesus, what about John's life? Are you going to bless him more than me? Do you love him more than me? After all, you just told me I'm going to experience something really, really hard. Does that mean you don't love me? Do you love him more than you love me? Don't raise your hand, but have you ever had a moment where you saw the blessing of others and wondered if God loved them more? Do you love him more than me? And you got to get the sense that there's something going on between Peter and John. We get hints of it throughout the Gospels. Let me just give you a couple examples. A few years earlier, while Jesus was in the prime of his ministry, do you remember the moment when John, he has a brother named James, so James and John, their mommy comes to Jesus. Do you remember this story, church? Their mommy comes to Jesus and says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, into your glory, when you're like riding in and taking over and you have your big table where you're at the head of the table and you got a seat to your right and your left, can my boy sit on your right and your left? Quick question. How do you think the apostles felt about that little uh, stand in for from mommy? Anyone happy about that one? What do you think Peter, Mr. Fiery Temper Peter, felt about that moment right there? It's like, oh, yeah, I'll I'll show you where you can sit, right? So you have that moment. Then you have another moment just in the chapter before, John 20. Jesus is raised from the dead. Peter and John hear about it. They go running to the tomb. Now, get this. 
This is the most important moment in human history. John is writing down the events. And the one fact that John includes that he wants you and me to know is that when they're running, John wants you to know he was faster. It's in the text. He writes of himself, we were racing, but I got there first. It's like, come on, guys, we have not changed in 2,000 years, have we? And then now, Jesus is telling him, you're going to die. Well, what about him? Do you love him more? Do you have greater blessings in store for him? Because at the end of the day, every one of us wants to know that we are loved by God. Peter, in this moment, you get hints of it. He's about to fall into, if he's not careful, he's about to fall into the comparison trap. Me versus you, you versus me. Does God love you more than me? Does God love you? Does he want to bless you more than he wants to bless me? And by the way, this comparison trap, it starts early, doesn't it? Anyone else want to give me a little wink if you know what I'm talking about? So you have your kid, you take them to the doctor and you find out your child is in a certain percentage of a height. And you're like, yes, our kid's going to be a giant. Andre the giant, step over. And you're going to tell your friends because they're so big. Or then as a parent, I mean, some of us, you're just so proud of your kid because they're smart and they're doing well in school. And so you and I, we've seen bumper stickers like this next one, right? My kid's an honor student. Have you seen one of these bumper stickers before? Anyone? Don't raise your hand if you do it. Just, just have you seen one, right? And I love it because we want to show our kids are doing well and that makes us feel good. And I love this one parent whose kid wasn't really doing well, but the parent really wanted to brag on their kid still. And so I saw this bumper sticker. I thought it was just too good. My child is an honor student at the Alabama State Correctional Facility. Like, right? We'll find anything to compare ourselves to someone else. Your kid's incarcerated, but mine's the honor student. And it doesn't just end when we're kids, right? So you... You see this happening as an adult. You go to that friend's house that they just bought. And they're showing you their house. But what are you doing? Are you celebrating as you're going on tour? Or are you making a mental checklist of all the things you don't really like so you have something to share with your spouse on the drive home? You're like, man, did you see the tile in that bathroom? I don't think I would have done that one. Or what about this? A friend buys a new car and you're looking at the car. Are you going, wow, this is awesome. I'm so happy for you. Or are you then saying, you know, I I don't know that I would have bought that one. It's not just children who struggle with comparing, is it? We never seem to get over this. But hear me now, friend. The Lord Jesus never gave you or me permission to compare ourselves with one another. The only one that he calls us to compare ourselves with is Jesus Christ himself. That's what follow me means. Wherever he goes, whatever he does, however he lives, you go, do, and be like Jesus. We compare ourselves to only the one, not to all of the others. But it's so difficult not to compare ourselves because comparison comes from this faulty view, but it's pervasive. It comes from this theology of scarcity. The idea that there's just not enough to go around, right? Like there's only one pie. And if you get a piece of the pie, I don't get that piece of the pie. And so we've been taught from an early age in our culture that there's only so much to go around. There's only so much oil to go around. There's only so much dirt to go around. There's only so much um, um, energy. There's only so much this. There's only so much that. There's only so much money, whatever it may be. And because there's only so much to go around, if you get it, then I can't have it. So if you buy a plot of dirt... I can't get that same plot of dirt because God isn't making any more dirt. And so we have this scarcity. If you have it, I don't get it. 
And it's just this one big idea that there's just never enough. There's never enough. So because of the pervasiveness of this view, it has spread into the church, into how we view the blessings God wants to give us, and even just the way we view God himself, doesn't it? Well, if there's not enough out there, then maybe there's not enough with God either. Maybe God only has a limited bucket of good gifts. And if he blesses you, then he won't bless me because there's only so many blessings to go around. But you need to understand that is not God's economy. That is not the way God works. We don't deal from a theology as Christians. We don't deal from this level of scarcity, but rather Christians have a theology of abundance. We have this view that there's a God who is an infinite God, who's an eternal God, who's bigger than our finite needs, and he is not limiting the number of blessings that he is giving out. It's not like he's got only so many, and if he gives me a blessing, you don't get the blessing. Like how many of us are worried, like if we wake up, we go and we see Jesus early in the morning, we're like, hey, Jesus, I'm here for my blessing. He goes, ah. Jake Hendricks got here earlier and took all my blessings. I'm sorry you don't have any. He doesn't do that. He has blessings in abundance. This is what he meant when he said in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more. What's that word, church? Abundantly. Do you know what that word means? It means to overflow. It's a picture of like a geyser or a spring that just keeps spilling out. That You have to give away some of it, otherwise you'll drown in it. I love the way that the, um, the New Living Bible translation translates John 14 too. It's a familiar verse, but I love the way it puts it. It says, there is more than enough room in my father's house. In other words, there's space for you and there's a place for you. God doesn't go, oh no, I guess I'll have to put you in the broom closet. I didn't expect you would be here. God has a place for you and a space for you. And this question of do you love me, God, is born out of a view that there's just not enough. But in the Christian world view, the economy of God is that he is an abundant God who has more than enough blessings for every one of us. Now, I need to correct something. Often when we think of blessings and abundance, we think of an abundance of stuff. And that is not what the blessings are talking about here. The blessings God gives are far deeper, more beautiful than just more trinkets. It's the things that matter. It's hope. It's life. It's purpose. It's knowing that God loves you. It's that you'll be with him forever and that you have a presence with him forever. See, listen, as a minister, I'm often the guy in the room when you get the news that you're not going to make it. And by the way, I joke sometimes with people that we have such a big church, I can't go to everyone's uh, you know, hospital room. In fact, if you see me come in, it may be bad news. So you don't want me to come into the room. But these are the moments where the person hears the bad news. And I have never had in all the years that I've served in the local church, someone want to start telling me about the balance of their checkbook in that moment. They don't jingle their keys and say, whew, that was a great ride. They tell me about the things that matter. The people they loved who loved them back, they talk about those moments that no one else will know, but those moments that utterly changed their lives. They talk about those big special events and those private painful regrets. They talk about those because those are the things that matter. They're not talking about stuff because abundance and stuff are not the same thing. Do you understand? The world keeps telling you that your life will be full. It will be good with more stuff. Don't you understand 
The world is just inviting you to buy stuff that will be a future trip to goodwill. Everything you and I own at some point will either break down, be out of style, hello, 70s bell bottoms, or it'll be something that we no longer want. And so the things that the world says, this is what makes you you, the blessings of life are these things. You'll go, it's just a future trip to goodwill. There's a guy I know who made a comment. He was telling the story and he said, his parents had just died and he was cleaning out their house. They lived in this house for 50 years. They were products of the Great Depression. And you know what it means if someone grew up in the Great Depression, what does that mean about all the things in their house? Can't throw it out, right? Because you might need it later. My grandfather was that way. And so he's cleaning out the closets, cleaning out under the bed. He's cleaning out everywhere. And he finds in one hall closet a <laughs> Green Bay Packers jacket. They're from Alabama. I mean, they've never seen a hint of snow, let alone a cheese head. That's not them, but they have the jacket. So if for some reason they become Packers fans, they've got the gear all ready. It's like, come on, why do you need this? It's just a future trip to Goodwill Church. The abundant life Christ promises, the blessings of God are more than just more stuff. It's the stuff that matters. And so Jesus being asked, what about him? Makes the statement, it's Peter, don't worry about him. You do your job. I've got a job for you because there's always enough. The job I have for you is good. Hear me now, friends. God has blessings for you that he doesn't have for me. And he has blessings for me that he doesn't have for you. He has specific gifts just for you and just for me. And by the way, I don't want your blessing and you don't want my blessings either. Um, let, let me give you this. So yesterday, uh, some of us from church, we went and we got to watch some of our kids do piano recitals. Some of the different kids from church were doing it. And man, they're just different kids playing different pieces. And it, some of them were really fun and really impressive. And we're listening and I'm going, man, I would love to play the piano. I mean, like play the piano, not chopsticks, you know, but like really play the piano. Or sometimes with our, our team that's up here during second service, some of the piano players, I'm like, oh man, I wish I could play like you until I begin to learn about what the blessing costs them. And I began to hear about the hours and the days that they would be locked in a little small room going, da 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 And I'm like, that ain't no blessing. In fact, if some of you, if you're like, Josh, we just want to bless you. We know that you want to learn how to play piano. So here's what we're going to do for the next year. We're not going to require you to do your job here. We'll get it covered. Someone else will preach. Someone else will do the hospital visit. Someone else will do some of the visioning. Someone else will do those things, the counseling. You don't do it. All we want you to do is be able to learn the piano. So here, for the next year, we want to give you the gift of being locked in a little room and a piano for one year by yourself. You don't have to talk to anyone. You don't have to engage. And shoot me now is all I have to say. That's not my blessing. That is for some of you though. See, God is not a one size fits all kind of God when it comes to his blessings. And his blessing for you is different from the person next to you. It's not because he is a limited God, it's because he knows you so well. Jesus has blessings just for you because Jesus has a job just for you. And it's unlike everyone else in this room. You've got a job that is different from everyone else. Don't worry about what they're doing on the field. You just do your job. You follow me. When you're asking the question, what now? Because you're in the day after the special day and it just feels like a Monday day. Just follow. Just do your job. 
Don't, don't, don't scroll Instagram. Don't look at Facebook. Don't, don't go to TikTok and compare yourself. Instead, do your job. Enjoy the blessings of God from you. Do you understand? No one will take your blessing from God from you except for you. It is only by saying, I don't want your blessing or I will not operate in your blessing, God, that will keep you from the blessing of God. So some of us may be in here going, okay, how do I do that exactly? How do I figure out where to start? Let me just make this real easy for you. I want you to grab a piece of paper, pencil, or grab your phone. We're gonna jot four words down. Are you ready? Go ahead, grab it out. I wanna give you something here because for you to know what your job is, to know your blessing, to be able to know what the job is, you need to know your blessing. And there's four categories I just want to walk you through. These are four very quick things. As you are maybe in your small group this week, as you're talking, this would be a great conversation starter. What is your blessing? And to share what God has uniquely given to you and gifted you. Or maybe in your quiet time tomorrow morning or sometime this week, just to jot down, what has God given me? What are the blessings of God in my life? Four words, four categories I want you to consider. They're abilities, opportunities, relationships, and resources. Abilities, opportunities, relationships, and resources. Just really quickly here, I want you to ask the question, what are the abilities that God has uniquely given to you? Some of you have incredible, innate abilities that you have honed through practice and effort. Some of you are incredible builders. You can do incredible things with your hands. You see an empty space and you know how you're going to fill it with a beautiful piece of furniture or a beautiful handcrafted this or that, or you know how to fix things. Um, I think about some of you in here, you just have a way of understanding numbers and finance. And for some of us, it's Chinese, but for you, it's a symphony on paper. You get it. And then some of you in here, you're just incredible artists. Maybe it's sculpting, maybe it's painting. This past week, I got to go hang out with my buddy, Brett Weaver. He's a fantastic oil painter in our church. And he took me to his home studio and then he took me to his uh, art gallery. And I got a private tour around a lot of the pieces. I was like, wow, this is incredible. God has given him a gift that he has honed through time and effort. And for so many of you, you have specific abilities. And you say, well, I don't know if I have an ability. Here's a way to identify an ability. It comes easy for you and you don't even think it's an ability. That's often a time where it's an ability. It just comes naturally. So what are your abilities? That's a blessing from God. Second category, what are the opportunities or open doors God has given you? For some of you, You get to travel for work because God has opened the door. And so you see places and you go places that many of us will never get to see. For others of you, the opportunities, you sit on a board, a company, a nonprofit, or you teach students, or maybe you live in a particular place in town. And so you have opportunity to rub shoulder with certain people that others in here will never rub shoulders with. What are the opportunities of where you live, work, and play that God has opened up to you? Those are blessings from God. What about this relationships? By the way, did you know that the most important thing in life are the relationships in your life? A very full life is a life with a lot of relationships or even just a couple that are very, very, very deep. So who are the people that God has placed in your life? Maybe that's going to be your family. Maybe for some of you, you were adopted as a child. A friend, I would say, what an incredible, incredible gift God gave you that someone chose you. See, most of us were not chosen by parents in the sense that they didn't get to come and see us before they knew us. We just kind of came out and they go, oh, hello. But you're, you're a part of that family because someone chose you specifically. I think about the relationships in our lives. Who are the friends, the family, the church members? your neighbors, the people that you get to be around. And then finally, what are the resources? This can be all sorts of things. Let me just give you three. This could be your finances. 
Did you know that that's a gift from God for the glory of God? Your money is not yours, but it's on loan to you for God's glory and your enjoyment. That's a resource. For some of you, because of the stage of life you're in, you have more discretionary time. That's a resource God has given you. Praise God for that. And for others, man, some of our younger people, you may not have a lot of time. You certainly don't have a lot of money, but you have a lot of energy. How many of us love that resource, energy? How many of us wish we had more of that resource, energy? See, these are areas that if you just start to explore it, you will fill a journal as you begin to see how God has blessed you. And no two people have the exact same blessing. So when you look around and go, yeah, but God, what about that person? Do you love them more? Go back to your journal and say, oh, my stars, God loves me so much. Do you know that God loves you personally? Like, have you ever heard that God loves you, you? He loves spending time with you. He loves watching you strive and create and build. He loves hearing your joys and excitement. He loves listening in on the imaginary conversations you have and your imagination in general. God loves you. He has gifted you uniquely. And when you ask what now, the answer is do your job. He has gifted you for a purpose. We have two kids who over the past three weeks have had their birthdays. And one of the things that has been interesting is our son, Stephen, he's all about tech and video games right now. So what do you get for his birthday? Well, he got tech and video games. That was basically it. Our daughter, on the other hand, she's all about stuffed animals and calico critters, which I didn't even know what that was until I had a kid. But she loves it. And so that's what we got her. We love our kids the same, but we treat them different. God loves you the same, but he will treat you different because you're different. And it would be unkind for God to give you the gifts of someone else because they're not for you. So do the job that God has called you to do. You know, we've talked a lot about the gifts that God gives and we've talked a lot about where we go and what we do. But do you understand of all the gifts that God gives, there's only one gift in all of history that he has given to every person in this room. See, see, God will give you a gift based on your need. Do you understand that? God will give you a gift based on your ability. Do you understand that? God will give you a gift that is based on your wiring. So what does it say that God offers one gift to every person in the world? It's that we all need this one gift desperately. The gift, you say, what is that? The gift was this, that while we were still sinners, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for your sin and mine because we are wretched sinners apart from God. But through the grace of God on the cross, he gave us forgiveness of sin, the promise of eternal life, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. In other words, the only gift that we all have available to us that is the same for everyone is the greatest gift of all, which is that of Jesus Christ in us. Which means the greatest need of all people here in this room and around the world is Jesus Christ in us. If you ever wonder, does God love me? Does God love me as much as someone else? You can answer the question by saying, did he give you the same gift of his son, Jesus, as everyone else? And if the answer is yes, which by the way, the answer is always going to be yes. If you say yes to Jesus, then you know that God loves you. God has a purpose for you. So let's do our job.